we are out of our I'm Confused series now, and we're going to do three weeks on leadership now, actually, of uh, what Than just talked about, that last announcement. I um, want to give you guys a vision for, for why we do salt leadership, and then going over these attributes of faithful and humble. Um, and for new faces in the room, people, this is your first night at the salt company, um, or you've just been coming for a few weeks, what is salt leadership? You guys saw... 40 or so hands go up um, in the room. It's like, what, is, what does that mean? They put their hands up. Do they sell ice cream on Tuesdays? Or like, what is, what is a salt leader? They do. Um, <laughs> what is being a salt leader? Uh, our leaders, what they do is that they fill out this big application, right? So all of our leaders have filled out this application. Um, and they come on our leadership team. And one of the primary things they do is, is they lead a community group. So a lot of you guys in here are in community groups. Um, and if you're not, I would still highly encourage you to check out a community group. Because as this room grows here, community groups are vital for having deep relationships. So they lead a community group. But some people can't lead a community group. Um, and, and we recognize that. Um, and they say, hey, I want to be on leadership, but I want to be faithful in this context, whether that's being an RA or, or being in sport or being whatever. Um, we, and we still find avenues like, hey, we would love to have you on our leadership team. We would still love to come alongside you um, as you be faithful in your context, as you try to reach people there. Um, all that to say, distilled down, people on our leadership team have a heart to disciple others, to lead others, um, to see God's kingdom go forward. Um, I want to hit on first tonight the vision for that of why salt leadership. Why, why do we do Salt leadership. So our staff team, we wrote down quite a few different things, and we sat back there in a room with a lot of our leaders, and we had them look at that list, and then we had them add to that list a little bit, or like, hey, what's this? Does this make sense? Distilled down. Distilled down, salt leadership is to help you grow as a disciple and come alongside you as God's kingdom goes forward through you. We want to help you grow as a disciple and come alongside you as God's kingdom goes forward through you. And you're like, God's kingdom go forward through me? And you're maybe a little confused, and the answer is yes. Matthew 6, you guys have probably heard this. Um, whether you realize it's like Bible verses or not, but it's like, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. All right, the King James Version. Thy kingdom come, that will be done. That right, that right there. God in heaven, holy be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's Jesus' prayer. He's saying, this is how you pray. God's kingdom come, God's will be done. Jesus is saying, right now, that is our prayer. God's kingdom come, now. God's will be done here on earth as it is in heaven what? Heaven? Where there's God and there's angels around him singing holy, holy, holy day and night, and they're just sitting there in his glory, that here? Amidst all of this going on? That, that kingdom come now? That will be done now? The answer is yes. God's kingdom come. God's will be done now on earth as it is in heaven now. And this is how Jesus says to pray. So as God's kingdom goes forward through you.
Because that's the question. How does God's kingdom come and how does God's will be done? Jesus says, pray like this. God's kingdom come, God's will be done. And he's saying, this is how you yourself pray. And so the question is, how does that happen? Is he saying, hey, just pray that so it can happen through some fun event and maybe a bunch of people will be saved. Or maybe... Maybe miraculously someone will just get a vision from the Lord and you'll, you'll pray that prayer. He's saying no, not that those things never happen, but he's saying God's kingdom come, God's will be done, you, through you. This happens through you. I want you to pray this. I want you to say, God, let your kingdom come, let your will be done through me. You his people is how God's kingdom comes and how God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This group right here. And more verses outside of that. I'm gonna kind of rapid fire them. Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. So he's saying, hey, he gave these people. He gave pastors, he gave teachers, he gave shepherds. Why did he give them? He gave them to put on big events so people would come. Oh, no. Crap, that's not what it says. It says to equip the saints. Sorry. To equip the saints for the work and ministry for the building up the body of Christ. How is the body built up? Through the saints being equipped to take the kingdom of God forward. To equip the saints. Genesis 12, go Old Testament for you. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing, so that you will be a blessing. I'm going to give you all of this land, but I'm doing this so that you will make my name great. I'm going to place you in one of the most strategic spots so that you will make my name great. Same promise to you. I'm blessing you so that you would make my name great. This one's not on the slide, but I threw it in here about five minutes before. Second Corinthians 5.20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Come on, that's not more, can't get more clear than that. We are ambassadors for Christ. God makes his appeal through you. It also talks in 2 Corinthians how we are ourselves a letter of recommendation for the gospel. People look at us and say, should I follow that? Is this Jesus guy worth following? We are ambassadors. You are an ambassador God literally makes his appeal to the world through you. Luke 10.2 is over on the wall. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. What's few? The laborers, the people. Not the events, the podcast. Those aren't few. The laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest, to send out people into his harvest, to send out you into his harvest. 
And final one here, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission. Jesus is talking to the disciples. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. What does he do with that? Does he set up this huge beacon, all authority has been given to me, this huge beacon of light in the middle of the earth so that people would just look at it and see like, yep, God's real, I'm gonna follow that. Now, all authority has been given to Jesus and what does he do? He says, go, you go. You've been following me, you've been living with me, you've been seeing how I'm living. I'm actually now going to give you the helper, give you the Holy Spirit so that you can go therefore and make disciples. You, go. So our vision for leadership starts with God's vision for reaching the lost in Columbia, Missouri, through you. Right, it's hard to get away from this, those verses. How is God going to reach Columbia, Missouri? It's not through us putting on these fantastic events and drawing big crowds. We don't, our space is black as ever. Look at this thing. It's like not the most beautiful thing. But the people make this space great, right? You guys make this space great. Coming here and worshiping. People seeing Jesus through you guys. For the gospel to go forward in Columbia, it happens through people. And, and our desire with Salt Company is to see Mizzou absolutely saturated with the gospel. I, I talked about the vision sermon in the fall, Acts 8.8, 8, and I'm not going to shut up about this verse until we see it happen. This is after Philip goes down to Samaria. And it's just, it's sweet and simple. This is, he's preaching, people are scattered after Stephen is stoned, and he's, he's preaching the gospel and people hearing it. So what happens? Throw that up there, Thomas. This, this is beautiful. So there was much joy in that city. This is, this is recorded by Luke. Like he's like literally saying there was joy in that city. I don't know how to quantify that, but there was just joy. I fully believe that is that, that same joy that permeated Samaria can permeate that campus one mile down the road. And we can look at Mizzou's campus and say there was so that there was much joy on that campus. I fully believe this. I believe this book to be 100 percent true. And I believe the same Holy Spirit that was speaking through Philip, preaching the gospel, the same Holy Spirit that was working through individuals is the same Holy Spirit 2,000 years later so that there would be much joy on that campus. Again, our vision for leadership starts with God's vision for reaching the lost. And you guys are God's plan A, therefore you are our plan A. We're not looking for people to merely help us pull off events and gather crowds. Jesus saturating that campus doesn't happen through big events. It happens through individuals having a vision for the kingdom and using their context while they're here in college. That's how the gospel per permeates that campus. Students having a vision for the kingdom of God. 
and wanting to bring people into that. So here's what leadership is not. Give you, there's, there's a little bit of what it is. Here's what leadership is not. Just to state this, leadership is not merely the next step in your journey with the salt company. We, we would love it to be, but it's not merely like, hey, I came to college and it's going pretty good. I think I will do this thing now. That's wrong for two reasons. It's not about salt company, A. It's about the kingdom of God. But leadership is also not a country club hangout where you come to just make friends and leisurely play tennis or golf or sit by the pool um, and drink virgin daiquiris or whatever you guys would drink. Um, I don't know. I lost it there. Here's the thing, though. Here's, here's why I say that. We are not here to coddle you. We're here to raise you up into maturity in Christ for the kingdom of God. Just coming out of that vision there of, of how is God's kingdom go forward, it goes forward through you. And our desire is to come alongside you as, as God's kingdom goes forward through you. In Ephesians 4.13, as it goes on, that, that verse continues in Ephesians. It says, we equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body until we all attain unity of, no, of the faith and knowledge of the Son of Man, this part, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He's saying we equip people to take the gospel forward to maturity in Christ. That's, that's why we equip the saints. That's what we equip the saints to, is maturity in the fullness of Christ. Not maturity relative to your roommates or relative to the people in your classrooms because that bar for maturity is my back's bad I can't go lower that bar for maturity compared to the kingdom of God is low that bar for maturity when compared to the stature of the fullness of Christ like ooh it's higher right so we're here to walk along people who have identified Jesus has done a work in their heart and they want to take that out to others. Who have caught a vision for the kingdom of God, caught a vision for God's kingdom goes forward through me as stated over and over and over again in this word, caught a vision for that and said, hey, I want to figure out how to do this. That's who we want to walk alongside. I... I Personal training at the gym here in town for a couple of years. And when you personal train, you get, you get two types of clients. Client A. Client A is someone is paying for them to be there. Um, maybe a spouse that's like, hey, here's, just go to the gym. Go do this. Um, or like a, a parent or something, and they're like, hey, I have too much money. Go spend it on this. And then client, client B has more desire to be there. I say desire. That, like, generally, a lot of people don't like love going to the gym, but they have more desire to be there because they have goals they're wanting to hit and wanting to attain. So client A, I had a few client A's. Right, so one of my client A's, I'm not going to name names, but she comes and her husband, it seems like is just buying her sessions so that she has something to do while he goes and works out. Um, and... <sighs> 
Okay, so people wear jeans sometimes when they wear, especially like the older population, it's just like a normal thing. Like they'll just wear jeans. They just go in there and like, it, no, it's a thing. Like older population. No, 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 trust me. Go to, yeah, yeah. No, I'm not saying it's the right thing. I'm saying it happens. Why are you mad at me? Why are you mad at me? I'm stating facts. So, no, no, no. Hey, it gets even better. You're upset about that. Hear what client A wears. Client A continuously walks in her jeans, her nice coat that's all furry, and her Uggs every single time. She's wearing her furry Ugg boots. They're right there. Can you picture this? You're across the gym and you look over. And she's just sitting there on the leg press in her Uggs. And it's like, why? Y'all, if I wore anything with fur in them, my feet would be a lake, let alone trying to work out. Work, and she, like, continuously, like, worked out in Uggs all the time. And she, like, she was not sweating because she wasn't. She would, like, be, like, halfway through and she's like, I'm tired. I'm done. I'm like, okay. Um, well, what do you want to do? And she's like, I don't know. We can just be done today. I'm like, that's fine. I don't know. You just, you do, your husband's going to ride the bike for 30 more minutes so you can go do something. I don't know. That's client A, right? Client A is merely just there for kind of the, maybe the social aspect a little bit. Maybe like went to the gym today or like, hey, my husband's going. I'll go hang out with him. And then there's client B who's like paying to be there, wants to put in the work, is like, hey, I want to learn how to work out. I want to get better. I want to get stronger. I want to get more in shape, this, that. Um, but you generally know you're doing a good job with client B. when They're, like, they're usually the ones that are like, they're sweaty. They're breathing hard. They're like, I hate you under my breath. They're like whispering that. Or like, I wish I could throw this dumbbell at your face. And you're like, ah, I'm doing a good job right now. I know I'm doing my job when you're threatening to throw the dumbbell at my face. Right? But that's client B. It's like they want to be there. And it's hard. And they're frustrated and they're mad at you. But they continue to re-up because they, they start to figure out this workout thing a little bit. And they, they start to kind of see results. Again, they, they want to be there, but they recognize there's hard, it's hard and there's toil through that and there's some work and there's frustration. And so this is our desire with leadership, though. It's not merely just, hey, here's your next step. Come on, leadership. But hey, we want to help you work this thing out. We want to help you figure this thing out. And, and it might be difficult. But, but it's recognizing it's not difficult merely because of salt leadership. It's difficult because you are doing what God has asked you to do. You're in the toil and striving of making disciples, of taking God's kingdom forward, and it's hard. It really is. Like, when you're genuinely, like, if I remember talking to leaders that are, like, a little flustered or it's, like, stuff's been hard, it's like, you're doing it right. <laughs> like, when you're working for the kingdom, Paul again and again and again talks about toil and talks about strife, talks about pray for me. Talks about giving me boldness. Talks about giving me endurance. And our desire is to come alongside people that catch a vision for that kingdom. That catch a vision for, I see the kingdom of God. I know it needs to go forward through me. 
I, I know that God wants to use me to take that kingdom forward, and I want to figure out how to do that. So the question then is who? Like, like what are some, some characteristics we can look at? And, and that's what these next two weeks are talking about is we, we've distilled it down as much as possible to faithfulness and humility. Faithfulness and humility. That's the person we're looking for. And, and here's, here's why we use those two words. It, because those are not just competencies. It's not, hey, you're super smart, or hey, you're really funny, or hey, you're really good looking, or hey, you, like, you can draw people to you. It's you're faithful and you're humble. You embody these characteristics. And here's the differences between these two. Faithfulness and humility, they're evidences of grace. They're evidences of God's grace in your life. You can, you can look at those things and, and realize that that God has done a work in your heart. You can look back and recognize spots where there's evidences of God's grace working in your life. Where it's like, yeah, hey, I used to do that and I'm not anymore. By the grace of God, I'm not. Because in humility, I wanted to follow him. In humility, I wanted to say, you're right. It's, It's those evidences of grace, but someone can be very competent and not have the grace of God in their heart. You can be very competent, very good with people, very smart, very witty, but not have the grace of God saturating your heart. But we would rather look at faithfulness and humility. And so tonight we're gonna look at faithfulness. So we're gonna jump into 1 Corinthians 4. Just the first two verses there. So again, addressing faithfulness. This is, this is who God calls us to be. Chapter four says, this is how one should regard us. As servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. So verse one there, saying this is who we are. This is who we are. This is how we should be regarded. This is what you should call us. Servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. In other words, for stewards there, Another word is, is a, a manager, right? You're, you're managing the mystery of Christ or, or the NIV, if you have the NIV there, it says you've been entrusted with the mystery. All these words are kind of synonymous where, where you're, you've been given stewardship, you've been given entrustment of something, you, you're, you've been given a management of something. We're called to be stewards. We're called to be managers. This is who we are. And then this is what we do. It's required of stewards that they be found faithful. It's like, oh, thanks, Paul. It's super descriptive. Faithful? It's like pretty ambiguous, right? So the question is, what does faithful stewardship and managing look like 
And what are the mysteries of God? There at the end of verse two. What does faithful stewardship and managing look like? Uh, I think to answer this one, it's, uh, it's helpful to read scripture with scripture. In Matthew 25, Jesus gives a great parable on faithfulness. And so if you want to turn to Matthew 25, verses 14, we're going to start in 14. So this is a, a parable. So Jesus would like explain things through parables at times. Kind of explain stories to help get the point across to his disciples because sometimes they were boneheads. He's like, let me just put this in a story for you, see if this makes sense. And so this is, this is one of those stories that Jesus says. It says, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five more talents. So also he had two talents. So also he who had the two talents made two more, two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of the servants came back and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed, so I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But the master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So what's going on here? We, we hear the words talents a few different times, right? And so we see that, that a master was going away. And so what he did with his money was he gave three servants some of his money to manage, to steward while he was gone. He, he entrusted them with this. One of them he gave one talent, another he gave two, and another he gave five. So it's like, okay, is this like strictly about money? Like is Jesus giving me money? And I'm like, I'm in college, I don't really relate with that one, but... So what he's talking about with talents here for, for us is gifts and abilities. So you've probably heard the term like time, talents, treasure. That's what he's talking about with ta talents, especially like giftings. And, and, and it's not bad to be a one-talent person, and it makes you know greater to be a five-talent person. What he's looking at here, hey, are you going to be faithful with the talents I've given you? 
You as a, as a two-talent individual, are you going to be faithful with those two talents? You with, as a five-talent individual, are you going to be faithful with those five? You with the one, are you going to be faithful with the one, with the giftings I've given you, with the, with the treasures I've given you? So that's the question, though, is, is what does it look like for each of those servants to be faithful? And, and what's correlated here? And we can actually see a correlation in this text between the servants, he says, well done, good, and faithful servant and what they did with that money. Verses 20 to 23, he said, he came forward bringing the five talents more and said, hey, here's the five talents. Right, he received five and he came forward bringing five more and he gave them to him. So here's five more. And his master said, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. So that's the guy that had five. The guy that had two then comes forward and says, hey, master, you gave me two talents. Here's two talents more. Here's, you gave me two, I'm going to give you four back. His master said, well done, good and faithful servant. What's the correlation there? Both those servants multiplied the talents they were given. They multiplied them. They invested them. They made more. And here's what the final servant shows us. Right, so the final servant, is he's given one talent. And he received one talent, came forward, he said, Master, I know you're a hard man, and I was a little scared, and I was afraid I didn't know what to do, so I, I hid your talent in the ground. But I didn't lose it. I didn't lose it. I just hid it, and here's your one talent. Here you go. And what does he say? You wicked and slothful servant. You wicked and lazy servant. See, the, the final servant shows us that faithfulness is not merely not sinning. Faithfulness is not merely, hey, I'm going to suppress this sin. I'm going to hold the door for all the, the old ladies. I don't know. I always go to that one, I feel like. Whatever comes to mind for you right now where you're just trying to suppress this sin, you're like, I could just suppress this. That's what faithfulness would look like. It's not merely just suppressing sin. It's not merely just not getting angry. It's not merely just not watching porn. It's not merely just respecting your parents. It's the active. See, faithfulness is not merely more than just not sinning, and it's actually sin to operate in that way. That's what you see here. He says, You're a wicked servant. You took the one talent and you hid it. You evil, lazy servant. And, and the servant with one talent was not condemned because they didn't have five talents, but because they did nothing with their one talent. We're meant to invest our gifts, invest our abilities, invest what God has given us for his kingdom. And he actually says when you don't, you're a wicked and lazy servant. That's, that's Jesus. Don't get mad at me. When you don't, when you merely just say, hey, I'll get a salt, 
I'll go to church, I'll give my 10%, and I'll do my best not to sin, he says, evil and lazy. You are not investing for the kingdom of God. So the question is, what have we received from the Lord that we were meant to invest? One of that is as servants, we're given the gifts, we're given the abilities, we're given the talents, we're given support systems, but we're also given the mysteries of God. What is that? Going back to 1 Corinthians 4. Right, he says, moreover, it's required of stewards. So we just talked about what stewards and what it looks like to be a faithful steward. And as, as servants and stewards, you're stewarding the mysteries of God. What the heck? What is that? Paul explained this all earlier on in the text. If you go up to 1 Corinthians 2, verses 6 to 10, he explains this. He says, yet among the mature we do not impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age, we are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. We, we impart, we give a secret and hidden wisdom of God. Which God decreed, decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Dang. He's saying they didn't understand this mystery. They didn't understand Jesus. Because if they did, if they understood he was the Messiah, they would not have crucified him. So here he is very clearly talking about Jesus is the Lord of glory there. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about the gospel. The fact that Jesus has come, come back, was crucified on our behalf to take on our curse and our sin. And not everyone understands that. But Romans 10 says when you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you're saved. And what happens when we confess and we believe, we're given a new heart, we're filled with the Holy Spirit, and with that, we see the mysteries of Christ. We see the wisdom of God. We see him more. And it's not because we're special that God did a work on our heart. It's not because we're, we're excellent. It's not because we're really competent. It's because in his grace, he looks at us and says, I want you. I love you. And he's done a work, and he's called you to steward that to others. Romans 10, on, on past that verse, says, how are they supposed to know if they don't hear? How are, they supposed to, how are they supposed to hear the gospel and respond to it if they don't hear that? How beautiful are the feet of those who spread the good news of Jesus, who have seen this mystery, who have tasted this mystery, who, who understand this and say, I just want others to know about this mystery of God. Because holy cow, I don't deserve it, but it's beautiful and I'm figuring out this Jesus thing, but the more I trust him, it's weird. The more I trust him, the more peace I have. 
the more joy. And that happens as we dig out the mystery of God. All of this, all of this is the mystery of God given to us to say, discover it. And I'm going to come alongside you, but discover it. And as we mine this out, we're made more and more into his image. We mine out that mystery. And because of that, we steward what God has given us. And what happens when we steward that? What happens when we see that mystery, we steward the mystery of God? This is more practical as we close here. It doesn't make sense to others. It does not make sense to the outside world. It does not make sense to non-believers. 1 Corinthians 4, going on down to verses 6. Actually, I'm going to jump down to, to 10. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you're wise in Christ. Right there. We're fools for Christ's sake. To the outside world, to the non-believers, we look like fools because of how we're stewarding what God has given us, how we're stewarding our gifts, how we're stewarding our finances, how we're stewarding our time, how we are being faithful servants to the non-believer, we are fools. It's the language that Paul uses right here. He's saying we're fools for Christ. How we operate and live does not make sense to those who do not have this mystery. And here's the question that was convicting as heck for me today. What are you doing that doesn't make sense to the non-believer? What are you doing that doesn't make sense to the non-believer? And if the answer is nothing, I think scripture would argue you're not being faithful. If there's no difference between you and your unbelieving roommate, your unbelieving classmates, your unbelieving family, I would argue you're not being a faithful steward of the mysteries of God. Because what he says, if you're being faithful, you're going to invest, you're going to seek to multiply. Because of that, you're going to look like a fool to the world. And it was really convicting for me today to journal that out of like, man, like, where am I really, really aligned with the world right now? Like in my finances. Like as, as Rachel, my wife, and I like seek to steward finance, like where are we just like, our non-believing friends are like, yeah, that makes sense. Because I don't think that's faithful stewardship. With my time. What are you doing that doesn't make sense to the non-believer? And here's where I get excited about a passage like this. See, because we have a, a room full of college students, a room full of college students like this, when, when fully grasping, catching a vision for the kingdom of God and what faithful stewardship looks like, that campus stands no chance. Your future job stands no chance for what you can do there to be a light to your non-believing friends. Your family that doesn't know Jesus stands no chance. In the sense of faithfully stewarding and loving. When you catch a vision for the kingdom of God, we take it in these different areas, in these different spheres. 
and the gates of hell will not prevail. And I get excited because I truly believe that you guys are probably the most smart and innovative generation that we've had in a long, long time. You guys have had information at your fingertips for like your whole life. You just Google something and you just know facts and know how to build computers and stuff. I don't, like you're like eight years old and you're making a computer, I don't know. Maybe that's like 1% of the room. It's impressive though. Here's why I say that. You, you guys are innovative and you're smart. And you know how to interact with each other. Like, you know, like TikToks, for example. And this might sound dumb, but like people like using that and they like know how to be innovative and like make money or something. I don't know. Like, it's like a, you like, you know. I'm, I'm like just making sure I'm plugging the right stuff here, you know? Here, here's, I, I do think TikTok, I'm not saying, I don't have TikTok, nor will I ever have the TikTok. Um, but here's what I mean. You guys are good at getting what you want. Maybe that's a bit more succinct way to put it. You want likes, you figure out how to do that. Yeah. Seriously. You want likes, you want affirmation, you figure out how to do that. Because you're smart, you're innovative, you know what to do, you know what people want. You guys, when you want to do something, you have the competency and the ability and the drive to do it. I've seen it time and time and time again in college students. But man, imagine that stewarded towards the kingdom of God. This is, I just want people to know Jesus. How can I use what God has given me for people to know Jesus? I want people to know Jesus. Imagine a room full of college students stewarding their gifts for the kingdom of God. Not just for self-gain, not merely trying to avoid sin, but actively stewarding. Actively being faithful. That's what God calls us to. And that's why I get really excited about a text like this. A room full of students catching a vision for that. So two questions to end. Again, wanting to reiterate, what are you doing that doesn't make sense to the non-believer? And the reason I ask that question is because if there's, the answer is nothing, you're likely not faithfully stewarding your life. Or another way to put it is, how are you stewarding faithfully the mystery of God in such a way that doesn't make sense to the non-believer? And this, the second one, the last one, if, if the answer is not something like salt leadership, I just want to boldly ask why. If you're here tonight and you're like, yeah, I caught a, a vision for the kingdom of God, and I want to figure out how to do this, I, I would ask, Why not? Because again, it's not competencies, it's not knowledge, it's not wit, it's not looks, it's faithfulness. And every single person in this room has the ability to be faithful what God has given you. And we would love to come alongside you in that journey to figure out how to be a mature disciple in Jesus 
and reach people around you. Let me pray for us. God, we just, uh, it's crazy to think that you use us, uh, broken vessels, jars of clay, to, to hold this mystery and to take it forward. It doesn't make sense. You're a lot better at this than we are, but you say, hey, I want to use you, and I want to bring you in on that process of taking my kingdom forward. And it's hard, and it's toil, but it's also joy, and it's also peace, a peace and a joy that surpasses understanding. You invite, like, those are not separate. Those are not mutually exclusive. Your kingdom going forward us toiling and us striving is the same exact spot where our utmost joy is at. So God, we praise you that you let us partake in this. I pray right now that students could just catch a vision for your kingdom. And there's so many different spots in here tonight. This room's gonna get spread out all around Columbia. In May, this, this room's gonna get spread out likely all around the world. And to imagine your kingdom going forward in all these different spots is so cool. So, Lord, let's just let these individuals catch a vision for your kingdom to say, how can I steward my summer? How can I steward these last four weeks of school? How can I steward my next fall? How can I steward my future jobs for the kingdom of God? How can we be faithful servants? Lay that on our hearts right now above anything else. God, you're so good, and we thank you for Jesus, and thank you for access to the mystery. We love you. Lord, just let us praise you right now with our all, what you deserve. In your holy name, amen.